Here is an upfront content warning this week. Holy shit, there's a lot of talk of sexual assault and murder and some really dark stuff. A bit of child abuse sprinkled in too. You are going to want to skip over episode 19 to 1650. And when you come back, I'll give a quick summary of what you missed for anyone who needs the plot. Maybe I remember these less well than I thought I did. The, uh, the serial killer? a serial killer episode 19 i guess we'll see if you um if you know these if not we'll be holding off this week i definitely watched them okay i just don't remember the serial killer we have notes so oh yeah okay i remember now. oh yeah it's because i don't think about him when i think about the episode i think about the other guy with the recorder gotcha okay are listening to Boku no Stop, an anime podcast that is absolutely going to tell you about its divorce. I'm your host, Sybil Arnett, and with me is... Chris. And speaking of, Matt cannot be here because he's just too cringe sometimes, you know? Only sometimes. We're going to talk about Monster, episodes 18 through 20, and pick up with number 18, Five Sugars. If you recall... When we were last here, uh, Anna Liebert and most of our supporting cast were involved in a neo-Nazi plot to try and burn down the Turkish district of a German city, and so Anna is giving her statement to the police about the night's events. I do like that while the cop is talking to this, the dub refers to the skinhead's confession with he said he was lighting the fires to celebrate his people. <laughs> Powerful. See? See, that's a that's a good choice. As she leaves the station, a familiar face shows up to greet her, and it is Mr. Rosso, who we have not seen. But the two head to a diner to catch up, and while he treats her to a full meal, Rosso only takes a single coffee, five sugars claiming coffee isn't any good unless it's sweet, and for this I declare him dead to me. Yeah, fucking absolutely disgusting amount of sugar. I can understand someone who wants a little milk, a little sugar, maybe two packets. My grandmother was a two-packet woman. Five is debauchery. Like, they are tall spoons of sugar. My man, you might as well just fucking dump the container in there. You are basically a Starbucks diabetes factory right now. Ugh. Uh, and the rest of the episode is Anna's version of The Girl and the Veteran, where we learn what she did between some of the time skips. In the daytime, she worked as a waitress at Rosso's Diner, 
and every afternoon she would take a couple hours off for marksmanship training before coming back to work the evening shift. Said it's called dinner service. How dare you? I have actually never worked fast food on an evening shift. That's not fast was... food. That's a diner. That's sit down. At best, I've actually that's never worked. Ca- at best, that's fast casual. Please. I've never worked sit down dining. I made <laughs> crepes as my first job. That's it. Also, I'm really just harassing you for no reason. Carry on. Ah, uh, yes. Well, there's <sighs> definitely a reason now, but we don't talk about that. So, a thread throughout Did the past and... Did you me of sexual harassment? Yes, because it's funny. Wow. I'm yes. Un- I was unprepared for this outcome. <laughs> You'd better get used to it. I'm going to use every tool in my arsenal, Taylor. God damn it. <laughs> I've become more powerful than you could ever realize. Damn the... Okay, this is the future that liberals want. <laughs> Somewhere Matt just fist pumped. Oh, God. Motherfucker. Uh, but a thread throughout the past and the present segments is a film, Summertime, which Rosso was fond of. And why is that, Chris? The man didn't really get a lot of time to enjoy his life when he was young. No film, no food, nothing really he was working all the time. Um, and that's when all the plot threads converge, and he just goes, yeah, I used to be a hitman. I know you know. Same as I know who you were, Nina Fortner. So did you want me to uh, kill someone for you, or did you want to learn how to do it yourself? And um, we find out that Anna learned about him from her law school professor and how he had been on the fringe of a lot of mafia cases. Um, and then for three minutes, this turns into The Irishman, which I have not seen yet, which is what we call pulling an inverse Sybil. <laughs> he asks why, despite spending half a year with him, she never asked to learn or to hire him. Her response is simply, "I it didn't seem right to involve you. And I'm like, homie, why are you here? When the whole discussion is over, she leaves on a train. His final words to her are, killing, are easy, killing is easy. You just have to forget how sweet the sugar is. Unlike Tenma's instructor, his face does not say, she'll be fine. And it cries her way to the episode's close. We skipped a lot of stuff, um, mostly because it's irrelevant to the main plot. But this is like a really good emotionally resonant episode. I enjoy it. All the bottle episodes have been very high quality. Yeah, this this week is mostly bottle episodes. But this one is good. I expected to have the both of you here for it. And you'd try to riff on this one, which is why my notes were sparse. I didn't want to just cover. There's nothing to really riff on, right? Like, it's just a very good episode. Yeah, no, it's it's stories of the two of them over time, working on building a relationship, uh, Anna slowly learning how to work a gun without immediately seeing the face of her brother that she failed to kill as a child, a, a lot of different things. And for what it's worth, the five sugars of the title are that Mr. Rosso gave up killing because he was in the middle of sitting on the roof of the Vatican with a sniper rifle, watching his target, and the man just puts one, two, three, four, five scoops of sugar in, and this immediately makes Rosso go, holy shit, things can taste? That's when I would have immediately pulled the trigger with no hesitation upon seeing You that. and I both... <laughs> Kill that monster. Kill him. to make actionable threats on my podcast. 
<laughs> it's how can you see a man do that and it renews your faith in humanity? But that takes us into reminder, skip ahead to 1650. Episode 19, Monster's Abyss. We resume on a man confessing that his marriage is failed, that he thrives on madmen and conflict. She said I was a voyeur, peeking through the window at people's innermost thoughts. And across the table, a comically large man simply responds, Doctor, you've got problems. Well, he's modeled off of somebody. I think he's, he's like modeled off of Kemper, I believe. He is, but he is large in a way that breaks the scale of this show at times. Did you see um Mindhunter? No, but I've heard uh, I've heard suggestions. That's pretty good, but um this guy is basically exactly how they cast Kemper, like just a mountain of a man, which is why that was the reference I went to. That's fair. It's I think you might actually be right that he was a Kemper reference. Let me see. Yep, he is officially based on Edmund Kemper care of reviews yeah oh my god look at a picture of this guy yeah holy shit comically large well i guess i'll have to put that in the show notes maybe don't put a picture of edward kemper in our show notes all right that's reasonable (laughs) uh so dr rudy gillen and the large man known as peter jurgens are chatting in a prison interview room uh gillen has a tape recorder going for this and the two of them negotiate over which of his 12 plus murders they're going to discuss that day and how much it does or does not arouse the man we're we're not joking about this by the way nope the next morning he's narrating his notes into a different tape recorder the 12th victim being so abnormal from the pattern no sign of assault like he did with the younger ones he killed a gramby and Then he hears a noise, and the he would be Dr. Gillen. One who's there later, and, you know, he does actually kind of slink around his house with a weapon in hand, because he's like, hey, someone's breaking into my place. It's Tenma, his former classmate. Dr. Gillen is willing to hear him out because of course he is, and the two of them have a chat about whether or not he thinks Tenma is criminally insane that starts with, Did you know my wife divorced me? That is Dr. Gillen's move. Um, while the two were never close in school, Tenma knows Gillen is an expert in criminal psychology, and he then pulls out the transcripts of some of Johann's graffiti. We see a brief interlude in Gillen's head. Once upon a time, Gillen was the top student at a German medical school, and then a certain Japanese man showed up. He was charming, popular, and brilliant. Tenma rocketed to the top of the academy's ranks, so Gillen doubled down, trying to reclaim his throne. The problem is, his final exam was his worst subject, and so, knowing that if he bummed it, it meant everything was for naught, he cheated. And Tenma saw him do so, but never said a word to anyone. We return to the story, and Gillen asks if Tenma's conclusion is, So there are two personalities, the killer and the one trying to stop him. Is that what you're saying? Gillen hits X to doubt and turns on his tape recorder. Once again, he starts a recording with, Did you know my wife left me? 
My dude is overusing his one move. It's not like Temma is giving him a pity fuck for this. We then cut back to the jail cell where he's playing the Tenma tape for his murderer, who says, I understand him. I know the monster inside well. Gillen goes on with a platitude. Oh, sure. There's a monster in you, in him. Heck, even in me. And that's when Jurgens tells Gillen to shut the hell up. He reaches across the table and just lifts him up by the throat, saying... There are things in this world that would turn your blood to ice, Doctor. Real nightmares. As Gillens fumbles for the alarm, Jurgens pushes it away, asking, Are you scared yet? And he pulls the doctor close with like this fucking like horrifying grin, like really really, really well drawn. They break model on this character so much to make him look like some kind of demon in this scene. Incredible. It's wild. So we have another flashback. After Tenma showed up, Gillen talked to the police, and he clearly plans to turn the doctor over when they next meet, thinking that Tenma is the murderer who has split personalities. But on his walk back from the prison, Gillen makes a stop at the Kempf house. Jurgens has told him to look at the basement. That's where you'll find proof that monsters exist. Down there... Jurgens recreated his childhood, where his mother abused him in a shrine of photos as an unnerving doll watched. I cried out to it for help, but it only grinned, is one of the lines that really sticks with you in this sequence. Sure does. And the detail that turns this into Gillen's horror is that Jurgens has placed a photo of himself from childhood in each shot, but he goes, wait, Mrs. Kempf did not have a child. He's like, no, there there was a kid here in all of these shots. Someone has cut the face out, and Gillen has and Jurgens has glued his head over all of them. So he's like, okay, wait, wait. And we cut back to this nested flashback where Jurgens is telling him that the monster sent him letters. And eventually he came to think they were befriending him, and they urged him to this woman's house, where he went downstairs and saw this shrine, and immediately he says, I blacked out, and then when I came to, I was on the second floor, and Mrs. Kempf was dead. So, Gillen is putting together, all right, A, Johan seems to be real, B, he must have done something with Mrs. Kempf to get her to make this shrine so precisely. So he looks around and yeah, just because this is an old woman's house, there is a tied up rubber banded bundle of letters. Oh, cool. All the evidence I need. Oh, all the letters inside have been replaced with copies of the monster inside me, the monster. All right. Well, guess, uh, guess Jurgen's cleaned up the traces pretty well. Sure did. And he realizes that Johan is real and Tenma's not lying. Um, we cut to the park where Gillen, at 8 p.m. where Tenma and Gillen had agreed to meet previously. Um, Gillen, being a real piece of shit, has tipped off the cops that Tenma was to meet him here. And they see him approach. Gillen breaks from the plan, however, and begins leading Tenma out of the park and into a crowd departing a nearby carnival. 
As the cops keep distance, worrying that Tema is armed, Gillen reminds him of the time that he was caught cheating, lifting his sleeve. Inside his sleeve, a note that says, run, the police have us surrounded, is revealed. The pair continue. Gillen hands over one of the photos and tells Tenma the story of his long day. Once again, Tenma has an existential crisis, realizing how many steps ahead Johan is. But finally, they reach a bus station. Gillen slips Tenma a ticket and says it's not too late to turn himself in. He could help prove the doctor is innocent. Tenma says no and just goes, hey, look, this is a suicide mission. And as he leaves, he does tell Dr. Gillen, I never looked down on you, not once. But you looked over and saw me cheating. I know it. Well, yeah, I cheated in medical law, too. <laughs> and, you know, there's there's some symbology of both of them are terrible at the one law class they had, symbolizing working outside it for the greater good. And then Tenma gets on a bus and leaves town. Good shit. Yeah. Excellent episode. Yeah. If you are just joining us after the time skip, uh, we are at episode 20, Journey to Freyham. All you missed is that Dr. Rudy Gillen, a former classmate of Tenma's and an expert criminal psychologist, discovers that despite his theories that Tenma is a multiple personality killer, he finds existence that Johan is real and he helps the man escape a net around him. Also, we made fun of whatever your favorite anime is. Sorry you missed it. It was terrible, and we just thought, ugh, trash to your waifus. Man, only an idiot would like this shit. Mm, it's how we lost so many minutes. <laughs> but speaking of losing time, we'll talk about an elderly British couple driving through the German countryside. This might be my favorite episode so far. This is a really, really good one, and you don't see where it's going for the longest time. Uh, on on rewatching this, the I did realize basically nowhere, but in a way that's really enjoyable. Yeah, but my favorite part of this is that if you are just going into this one for the first time, it's still a very good story. It's tense. It's all sealed up. If you come to it with the knowledge of what's happening here, the actual dropped clues are like, oh, oh, okay. Uh, the the elderly pair just sort of have a polite sniper to at each other, but they're lost. They're on vacation. They don't care too much about that. As they continue their drive, they eventually see a man and a boy hitchhiking and stop to pick our protagonists up. It does have a real classic women love to be telling men to ask for directions energy. There is a good bit on that, which is, hey, so I bought a map when we got this rental car, and that's when I realized I don't speak German. <laughs> so because of that, uh, Tenma knows some English, and since he knows the area better, he gets to read the map in the backseat and guide them. The... Pacing on this episode is a lot of little conversations, and if there's any you want to go over, I just gave an overview. Not really. The thing that I appreciate the most is really hard to discuss in a podcast, which is a lot of like the quiet, like things unsaid but well animated um, elements. This episode is like really rich with nonverbal communication in a way that is unusual for anime. Yeah. Reminder, this this whole story is two different chapters of manga. There's just a lot of 
silence or gestures or some pages are just the old couple, you know, kind of playfully snipping at one another. And that's that's all you get. Just, what, what are we doing here in the middle of Monster until you realize what we're doing here in the middle of Monster? So the gent was a policeman and this is their first vacation since he retired. Tenma graciously offers to leave at the next stop to not interrupt their time together, but he shoes it off, saying that, hey, you're incredibly handy to read the map, you can help us order food, and we're going in the same direction. No reason to. And we have a brief montage of the drive. Uh, the old woman gets Dieter some snacks at a stop. He's very happy, he just keeps pulling these things out of his overalls for the rest of the episode. I mean, I just got pocket candy for days now. Yeah. Um, eventually, the rental car that they're all in runs out of gas in the middle of nowhere. A truck comes by. They uh, wait, trying to hitch a ride to get some gas. And a truck eventually comes by, and the man only has room for two in his vehicle. Tenma and Dieter leave, promising to send someone back from the next gas station to save them. Uh, a, this is convenient for Tenma, but B, also uh, the other people don't speak German, so it would be very hard for them to get assistance with this. Uh, unknown to everyone but the truck driver, they are in bumfuck, comma, Germany, a one-plane <laughs> road away from any town or station as the sun begins to set. Uh, really beautiful when the sun begins to set. Like, just eye candy for days here. There's this whole scene of the old couple at their car just being like oh he's he's not back yet i you know, he'll send someone i don't know about that one i don't trust him with twilight overhead a light in the distance approaches the couple tenma and dieter got off the truck at the first farm they passed asking gas and a flashlight from the man the day is saved um we cut to dinner at a hotel the four are eating together the husband is saying very little and the wife is being um very grateful for the help with the menu and finding a dish that they would enjoy eventually the man puts down the paper he was reading and says i think he looks like a criminal clearly trying to unnerve tenma he flips the article around pointing out the story of a man who killed his wife asking what do you think and the man talks up how in his career he started to know the look of a criminal, just sort of a sixth sense. But his wife starts trying to rein him in, and he just keeps going. The longer I did it, though, the worse I got. Guilty or innocent, victim or criminal, I couldn't see the difference. Guess it means I was a terrible police officer. And something has clearly overstepped a boundary here, because after this, you can just see the old couple shoulders sagged looking down at the floor but there's just silence real awk mm -hmm. and more driving eventually they are at a stoplight as children all cross oh look they've all got a friend i hope when you're done moving around you can make plenty of friends Dieter. and uh both of our protagonists are just like yeah <laughs> yeah Everyone should have a happy childhood is another thing the couple drops that just leaves them um, forlorn in the front seat. <laughs> and we get to the detour. It is a police station. The couple ask their passengers to wait in the car a moment. Oh, oh incredible tension here. Yeah. Dieter, th when they go inside, is just like, 
we should run, but Tenma is keeping his head down in this half crouch. He's having a panic attack. And Dieter can see, Tenma cannot, this officer just staring daggers at them. And he walks away, and we just hear him telling a partner, oh, some foreigner parked in the officer's only Again. <laughs> Again. <laughs> but the old couple come out and return solemnly, and they hit the road. It is a little outside of town when Tenma says they're headed in the wrong direction, and the old man says he knows they are going to Schubert Castle. The quartet climb this long stairway upwards. Tenma is helping the wife, who's having a time of it, while Dieter stays just ahead of the stubborn old man who's trying to power up and keep with this kid. And at this point, you're not sure if they're setting up Tenma or not. Like, you don't know what was ha what happened in the police station. Yeah, this we're not skipping over anything. We're actually covering this last part detail, detail, bit to bit. It's growing more and more tense. And... As they're climbing, the woman says they're here because their son sent letters about the view from this place. He's uh, he's in Germany, and they're actually here to visit him. Atop the castle is when the old man speaks. My son, my son, my own flesh and blood, he killed a man. And they're driving here to visit him in Germany because he'll never be able to leave. He has life in prison. They just keep finding stops to make before, you know, seeing their boy in orange jumpsuit in a box. So, there's this gorgeous shot from the top of the castle. Yeah. Like, this is this is the inverse of that Cyborg 009 episode with Albert, where you saw, oh yeah, the castle from outside. What if you looked down from the castle? This is what was there. Beautiful view. The pair drop Tenma and Dieter off, and they have a conversation immediately after they pull out, where the old man is like, oh yeah, no, I that guy's wanted for murder. <laughs> His wife is like, what? He says, uh, yeah, it was definitely the guy, saw, saw some mentions of it, but his poster was on the wall in there, and I don't think he did it. He seems too nice. In front of the prison, because they're still talking as they walk up, he says he wants to look their son Robert in the eyes and know that no matter what he did, he's a good man. His instinct has to be right, and he just wants that faith again that he can tell. And the last shot we see is both of them taking each other's hand and walking toward the walls. Yeah. There is... Not a lot to say about these this, on a podcast because these are episodes that really excel at strong silence, but they're like really excellent episodes. I could not think of a better way to do this block because next week we're going to go into something a little denser and I didn't want to cut that off as it got going. Oh, damn, we're getting into Matt, huh? Got him. <laughs> mm. but yeah this this series of little individual episodes is just 
wonderful vignettes and lowering the threat level after the neo-Nazi incident. And just really reveling in, oh yeah, not everything is going to be high stakes, lives on the line, but for Tenma, there's never going to be that moment of peace until this is done. A nice ride through the countryside turns into one of the most tense events of his life. Yeah. It's good. That's good shit. I cannot wait till uh, next time. Yeah. Ah, uh, with glad, that glad done. I wasn't here to drag this out. Yeah. Uh, do you want to add a little more to this? We could talk about Dragon Ball Z or something. I got nothing. All right. Then I'm going to let you chill, and we'll be back in two weeks with probably three hosts episodes 21 through 24 and we're gonna learn how risky running your mouth can be a lesson that i still haven't learned to this day oh good yeah imagine a podcast host knowing when to stop talking never happened before it's true ask us how many things we cut out of this episode